Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. Welcome to It's All Journalism. My name is Michael O'Connell. The IAJ team decided to give ourselves a two-week break over the holidays and run some special episodes. Last August, we celebrated our 10th anniversary, and last February, we marked our 500th episode with a live stream interview with Kat Downs Mulder of The Washington Post. So in a sense, it's the first time we've run that interview as a podcast. Since I last spoke to Kat, she's had a job change. In December, she left the Washington Post and is now the senior vice president and general manager at Yahoo News. We wish her the best of luck in her new role. On behalf of our team, Nicola Grisco, Amber Healy, Amelia Brust, and Steph Thomas, I wanted to thank everyone for continuing to listen to and supporting our podcast. We're already making plans for next year. We hope that you and your loved ones enjoy the holidays. Here's our interview with Kat Downs Mulder from last February's live stream event. And stick around for the end of the interview to learn more about next week's special episode. Enjoy. Welcome to It's All Journalism, a, a live stream event that we're, we're hosting to coincide with the publication or the release of our 500th weekly episode. We were trying to figure out who would be a good person to have on the podcast, how we would kind of celebrate it. We figured out that live streaming might be something fun to do. We, we haven't done this before. We have done videos before in live events. So we look back in our history and I was wondering who'd be a good person to talk to and Kat Downs Mulder's uh, name sort of jumped to the top. We first interviewed Kat back in 2013. You know, she came into the studio for our 36th episode and, you know, it was a great time and she knows her stuff about graphics and in the intervening, you know, nearly 10 years, Things have changed quite a lot for her. They've changed a lot for everybody else. They've changed a lot for the way people are, are delivering digital news. So anyway, Kat Downs Mulder is the chief product officer and managing editor of the Washington Post. Her team specializes in identifying opportunities to improve the Post product in order to grow the business. Kat joined the Post back in uh, 2008 as an information designer slash news designer developing digital graphics, including data visualization and user interfaces. Over the next 14 years, Kat has served in a variety of roles at The Post, including a nearly five-year stint as the Director of Graphics. In January 2019, she became the Post Director of Product and the Vice President of Product and Design. Kat has also been the Post Managing Editor since October 2020. Kat, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Do you remember coming to the studio and being in our podcast way back when? Of course I do. It was a great conversation. I remember, you know, trekking up to, I think, Northwest DC and yeah. coming to see y'all. And we talked about graphics and we talked about the team and we talked about how to make a good portfolio. And yeah, um, yeah. yeah I look back on that fondly. We were still kind of feeling our, our way in that first year. So it was really nice to, and just to sort of put it in context, you were going to come in one Saturday morning and then you contact us and said, I, I can't do... I can't come in because we're working on our, our big story, which is which at that time was the uh, Boston Marathon bomber. 
but you promised to come back the next week, which you did, and we did the recording. I guess in a sense we benefited that because you laid out pretty much how the Post handled that coverage. But I imagine you've had a lot of instances like that since then. What would have been some of the highlights of the past 10 years for you? My gosh, so many highlights. And I, funny enough, just this morning, I sent you an email that said, there's a lot of news breaking today. So <laughs> you might need to go a little bit more quickly than we, we might have otherwise with this interview. You know, that's one of the most fun parts about being in the news business is just kind of never knowing what's coming. And then, you know, trying to help people explain the fast moving events of the year. Certainly one of the most memorable recently has, has been January 6th you know, being in the, in the newsroom on that day and in DC on that day, then watching as, you know, so many of our brave reporters and video journalists, you know, were at the Capitol reporting on what happened that day. And we had so many, you know, people in our virtual newsroom um, helping to support that coverage. You know, it's just been, you know, it's just such a, you know, exhilarating experience being part of a newsroom during the big moments. Today is one of those, and looking at the crisis in Ukraine, and what's going on and just trying to, to get as much information as we can to be as accurate as we can and to explain it as clearly as we can, you know, to people truly completely different levels of understanding. You know, we're trying to explain it to people who are brand new to it as well as to the experts. And so all of our teams really come together in those moments in a way that's really inspiring. You've had a few days to sort of ramp up, you know, your research and understanding of maybe who a lot of the players are. And as you said, this is this is something you do kind of all the time. Tell me a little bit about your team, the uh, journalists that you that you're the leader of. What is it that they're focusing on, and, and what type of resources are they using? Most of the teams that I lead in the newsroom, so I lead teams on the product and engineering team, and also te teams in the newsroom. The teams in the newsroom that I lead are primarily focused in three areas. One is visual journalism and alternative storytelling. So that's our video team. We have video journalists on the ground in Ukraine. We have editors here covering breaking news. We have a visuals forensics team that's looking at social video and satellite imagery to try to tell the story better. We have you know, photography team with amazing photo journalists, also some of whom are on the ground. You know, We have a design team and a graphics team. Obviously those elements are tremendously important to our capability to tell stories, You know, breaking news in addition to, to more long-term enterprise our audio team, which does podcasts. I also lead our audience development, curation and distribution teams, which really focus on making our coverage well-connected and easy to access, making sure it performs well on search, copy desk, homepage, all of the teams that are helping to ensure quality and sort of organize stories and send out alerts and send out emails and make sure our newsletters are all looking good. Those are all of the kinds of teams that I'm leading in the newsroom and you know we're very very tightly coordinated with all of the other coverage desks across the newsroom very tightly embedded and and working very closely together you know for example with our foreign team or a business team or a politics team you know all of whom are engaged on this story and and so many of the other stories that we work on when we first talked back in 2013 you had been at the post for a few years you were you're in the graphics department you know, creating data visualizations and other things to help tell stories, tell news stories. And I imagine you're still, in a sense, doing a lot of the same thing, but in a very much broader way with the involvement of a lot of other people. What are the skills? Because we're, we're, sometimes we're, we're a nuts and bolts podcast. What are some of the skills that you think that uh, somebody who wanted to go into the, you know, the graphics, the engineering side of the building, they would need to have to do that? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends a lot on the specific 
job that you want to do. You know, I think there are qualities that lead to success in either in a newsroom role, a role as a journalist, or in a hybrid role, a role that bridges the newsroom product design and engineering. I think, you know, curiosity about the world, about technology, about the ways in which we can communicate information is always one of the top things that I look for when I interview candidates or review portfolios, particularly people who can figure out how to tell a story in a different way or with a different angle or a different framing than others have come up with. I think that's what makes the post-journalism so distinctive is that we tell stories you can't find anywhere else. And that curiosity is what leads us there. You know, I think flexibility and a growth mindset are incredibly important. So can you learn? One thing that I can personally attest to is that, you know, this environment just changes tremendously quickly. The tools evolve, the technologies evolve, the devices evolve, and we have to evolve with them. And we are always seeking people who can evaluate what's new and what's interesting and figure out sort of how to apply it to our strengths of, you know, investigation or context or, you know, ex explanation. And so I think that's tremendously important as you sort of drill down into the specific functions mm -hmm. uh, of these different teams, you know, certainly technical skills, you know, if you're making podcasts, you should have technical audio skills and a great ear for sound. You know, if you're making graphics, you should have the skills that you need with Illustrator or with React or, you know, various other kind of technical skills that would help you be good at that particular craft. But mm -hmm. at a very high level, I mean, I think, you know, creativity, curiosity, you know, and a dedication to quality and sort of the fundamentals of, of journalism in terms of like our mission to, you know, speak truth to power and rely on the facts and let the facts lead us where we're going to go are, are just tremendously important. You know, I, I like what you said about, you know, looking at the different ways of, of telling stories. If you think back over the last 10 years, you know, I remember when Facebook Live became a thing and every newsroom was like telling reporters to go out and shoot video. And so you had people walking through the park, you had people, and it was like, you could see people trying to figure out, well, this is good, but how, how can we use this? How can we leverage this? Is that sort of a typical type of um, approach to how things are done at the Post? Do you, as you're looking for new storytelling tools, do you, do you create an opportunity for people to try things out and test and fail? Absolutely. I mean, we're always testing and, you know, some of those things don't lead anywhere. And then some of them lead to really fruitful ideas that we can expand on, you know, for example, Facebook live, you know, that was something that we, we did a lot of, and now we've really adapted. Now we do our own live shows. I think we have one going on on our site right now about yeah. what's going on in the Ukraine. You know, we, we learned a lot from that experience and we've now been able to really develop a very strong live coverage capability within the post that continues to serve our subscribers and new readers. We're constantly experimenting. I mean, that's sort of that spirit of curiosity that I was talking about. Like I said, not all of them, not all of them pay off, but like we experimented, you know, started with one person on TikTok and now we have a four person TikTok team and, you know, over a million people following us on TikTok. And, you know, we're right now experimenting with a lot of, you know, Instagram reels has, has so shown us the potential of vertical video and sort of reporter, reporter selfie video where they kind of explain things. And we're doing a lot more of that. We're doing that in our own app and on our own site and ways that have been really encouraging in terms of how the audience responds to that sort of more personal touch and one that's also more native to the way that they use their phones, right? 
And so it's, you know, it's just a lot of fun to see what's possible and then to figure out how we can adapt and use it for our journalism. It's also critically important for any journalist to, at the beginning of the telling of a story, think about how that story should be told and resist the urge to default on what you know how to do best. And especially if you have a team of people surrounding you, you know, whether we're in a small organization or a large organization, who are the people you're working with and, and what might they be able to contribute to the story? And that's where I think the most interesting you know, alternative story fat formats or new ideas will come from is that, you know, somebody will say at the beginning of a story, hey, here's some reporting I've done. Here's something that I've learned. And let's think about how we could communicate this to our audiences in a way that would really help them understand. Should it be a calculator that would help them understand how this, you know, inflation is impacting them or how the child tax credit might be impacting, you know, them or their family? How could we show them photographs of a situation or, you know, one that we did was sort of when, you know, sometime in the, the summer, fall last year as like companies were really having a hard time finding people to take jobs. You know, we did a piece that was photo driven that was like photography of help wanted signs across, you know, this area. And it was just striking, you know, when you see all those signs in aggregate. And that's a story that's just better with visuals. And so we do need journalists to be able to think about that and to dream a little bit bigger and then figure out how to actually make that a reality. Do they have to do it all themselves? No, but they certainly could, right? I mean, in some cases, right, a journalist can take photos on their phone, they can do videos on their phone. And so just remembering that you have that capability to tell stories in different interesting ways and then to to chase your own curiosity, I think is important to remember because I think when people start to get comfortable, maybe further along in their careers, they start to lose a little bit of that, you know, kind of urge to just like try whatever, right? Because yeah. it's, it's harder to fail later on when you're more established, people start to feel fear, failure versus like the spark of imagination and like the spark of possibility. And so the question is like, how do you preserve that? So you're willing to continue to take risks and try new things and come up with new ideas and not just say, okay, well, this is the thing I know how to do. So that's the thing I'm going to do. So that's, that's how I think about it. I like what you said before, uh, and I kind of want to return to it when you're talking about like shooting video and using Instagram where it's more native, where that's a, like a reader engagement approach. And that's basically kind of what you said all along is, is that it's really the, the story that guides the storytelling and, you know, identifying which tool, which process you're going to use to tell the story. Reader engagement is something that a lot of newsrooms talk about. What does it reader engagement mean for to you? You know, for me, reader engagement is just simply giving people like a really good experience with our journalism. And that can take, you know, and an, maybe an authentic connection with our journalists. And there's a lot of different forms that can take, you know, that can be a live Q&A, that can be creating a project that they can contribute to, that they can help fill out. You know, we just did a project, Congress and Slavers, you know, then we asked people to help us you know, fill out a database of people who had been in Congress who had held slaves. And I think that, you know, that's just tremendously powerful, that reader engagement. And I think a lot of times we want to really try to break down the, the formality, the layer that's between us and their readers and kind of help them see us as human beings who are here to help them and guide them. You know, how many times have you 
maybe read a news article and then you talk to a friend who maybe knows a lot about the subject and they explained it to you in a way that helped it click. We want to help it click. And how can we, how can we do that? You know, a recent example was Dan Diamond, one of our reporters did a Facebook post about, I believe, you know, what to, to, to know about Omicron for my friends and family. He did it, you know, on Facebook and, and it just started spreading like wildfire. And then it was like, oh, well, let's like take that and put that on our website, you know, and, and help more people see it and what I want my friends and family to know. And same information that he had been kind of reporting in his stories, but just in a different way that felt really accessible to people and, and a bit more intimate to people. And I think that, you know, we're kind of always looking for ways to help people understand the news that's around them. And there's all kinds of different ways that you can do that, all kinds of different tactics from less interactive to more interactive and, and some of its text and some of its video and, and some of its on platform and some of its off platform, you know, but always kind of looking for those opportunities to meet readers where they are with their knowledge level, you know, on whatever digital platform or community they're part of. I want to talk a little bit about your experiences as a manager. You're the you're the third woman to take on the uh, managing editor role or be one of the managing editors at the post. And if you look at your career, you know, you started out as a designer but then you, you ended up at various stages taking on management and leadership positions. What what do you, what makes a good leader in a newsroom, you think? So I think I'm the fourth female managing editor. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, but there's, yeah, but there's three right now. But, you know, I think, what, what does it take to be a good leader in the newsroom? Well, I mean, I think a lot of the same qualities that it takes to be a good leader in general, to have, you know, some conviction and vision about where things should go, and then the capacity to lead and motivate a team to achieve things that they're completely capable of, but maybe always don't always know, don't always believe in themselves enough. And so, you know, how do you motivate and lead a team? How do you coach people? How do you help people like see their potential and achieve their potential? How do you help them excel at their craft? How do you help them uncover opportunities? You know, I think learning how to kind of prioritize things and give people clear direction is very important. You know, helping people navigate complex situations and having the ability to, you know, kind of figure out how to spend your time, especially as, especially as you grow in leadership and have larger and larger teams, that necessity of prioritizing your time and helping other people prioritize becomes more and more important. You know, that's like sort of a smorgasbord of all the things that it takes, you know, to be a good manager and leader. But fundamentally, like it's about trying to help set a direction and then help the teams achieve it. And I think that's, you know, something that I love to do and then and I've tried to do in, in all the positions that I've had at the Post. What's a typical day like for you? Well, every day is a little bit different, which is why it's fun. I mean, I always spend, you know, we start our day and end our day with news meetings. So I do those where we hear ideas and what people are working on and talk about ideas. I spend a lot of time with the leaders on my team, talking with them, sometimes in one-on-ones, sometimes in project-based meetings or team-based meetings, where we try to move various priorities forward, whether it's story-based meetings or whether it's more sort of long-term strategy or organizational challenges. There's always a number of different things that pop up with fires to put out, you know, things going on that surprise us, whether it's the news or just a variety of other, of other things. And then we're always, you know, have a little portion of our time, you know, sort of dedicated towards thinking about the future and how do we get there. And, and a lot of the meetings that we have sort of help us get towards that, right? What are the processes that need to be improved? What are the 
opportunities to build tools that can make things easier for us. You know, how do we, who should we, you know, what jobs do we need? How do we post those, et cetera? So my days have a lot of meetings in them. And, you know, I start, start the day off by, you know, reading a bunch of news and looking at my calendar and kind of figuring out how to play out the day. And that's kind of how it goes. It's always different, which I enjoy because it keeps things interesting. So, but it's always, you know, kind of starting and then the day's over before you even know what happened. Yeah, that's one one of the benefits of being a journalist. You're there seeing things happen and you're you're able to uh share your experiences and, and your perceptions with the tools that you amassed over over the time. We're going to switch over in a minute to questions uh from our audience if Tony if they have any Tony is helping me do this. But you say you're looking towards the future, and I, I know I understand. You know, part of that answer is you're looking to the future of the post. What is the the post going to to concentrate on? But as a graphic person, as someone who thinks visually, where do you see storytelling going in the new space in the next five or five or ten years? I mean, I think that there's tremendous open open space for invention and creation. You know, something that I often think about is like newspapers have been around like a really, really long time and digital journalism hasn't, you know, it's been around like 30 years or something really mobile journalism's only been around for like, I don't know, 15, a little bit more than that. So the opportunities are still like so fresh. And I think that, you know, as our, you know, devices have more capabilities as our internet connections are much stronger. I think we're going to see a lot more sort of real-time news, a lot more you know, journalism institutions drawing on, you know, things that are just like things that exist, you know, whether it's user generated, you know, people shooting video in the field and recording things, satellite imagery, security footage. I mean, there's all of this stuff out there that's just incredibly rich. You know, we have a whole team really focused on figuring out how to tell stories with that information or visual forensics teams. And I think audiences are going to be craving more of that kind of visual journalism, accessible journalism. I also think there's a craving for a more sort of like personal connection with journalism institutions. And so certainly we're thinking a lot about how to, you know, help people get to know our journalists better and learn more about them and learn more about our process. You know, we want to help people get sort of more transparency into the journalism process so that they understand what we do and they can trust it more. I think the proliferation of misinformation and disinformation is a really huge and important challenge for journalistic you know, institutions to figure out how to address and how to make sure that our information continues to be reliable and trustworthy and that users have all of the signals that they need to come to that conclusion. And so I think that all of those things, you know, telling stories more visually and in more accessible ways, figuring out how to highlight our talent, figuring out how to build trust, those are some things that I think are going to be really important for us to, to think more about in the coming years. To your point about trustworthiness and fake news and trying to identify the things that are that are real news and, and not something else. You know, last night, you know, people were on Twitter, journalists were on Twitter saying, you know, a lot of the video that's going up right now is not fresh video from the Ukraine. You know, please don't share it or, or please only post current video. And we've seen instances in the past where photos have been doctored to present a, a particular political point of view or try to spin something a different way. How much does that concern you, that you're kind of competing with these, with people who are putting out disinformation like that? Well, I think 
one, we have to make sure that we verify everything that we report on and use, and that we clearly explain, you know, what we know to users about what they can trust, you know, so if we see that stuff floating around, you know, should we do a story saying, hey, this is floating around and here's what we know about it and here's what you should be thinking about as you watch it. I think that we have to, again, think about ourselves as people's kind of guide to how to consume information and like how to think about trustworthy information. I think, again, our visual forensics team and our fact checker have done a really good job with this. And I think we should continue to be a resource on that. And yeah, absolutely. Like having misinformation or disinformation or old information kind of flying around just makes the world even more noisy and hard for people to find reliable information. And so we need to really prioritize doing whatever we we can do to help people navigate that and to be a resource for navigating that and a reliable and trustworthy one and, and making sure that we always have the absolutely, you know, most high standards that we can and that we don't rush into things and that we we do all of the legwork for the users. And so I think that, yeah, it's, it's a big challenge and definitely something we're thinking a lot about. We can ask one or two more questions and we can, can wrap up. I'll let you go back to your very important work. So it sounds like you're still jazzed about being a journalist. I assume that's the case. Yeah, of course. Okay. Well, cool. What's it like working for the Washington Post? You know, I love it. Obviously, I've been here 14, almost 14 years. And the thing that I like, I interview a lot of people as part of my job. And often I get that question of, you know, why the post? Like, what's great about the post? And why have you stayed so long? And, you know, the thing that I often say is it's a combination of things, but one is the mission of the company is one that I believe in very deeply. And I find the work inspiring and I think it's important and that makes it meaningful when you wake up every day because you get to work on something that you feel like matters. And then the second part is working on something that matters with brilliant people that you can learn from that are fun, that are inspiring, like I was kind of joking, I can't pick a favorite journalist, but it's because there are truly so many incredibly brilliant people here that I've learned from over the years. I mean, just the quality of the people who work here and their brilliance is, is like really, really amazing. And so, you know, I think that's what it's like working at the Washington Post, you know, and that's why I think I'm speaking a little bit about like the bravery of speaking up because when you're mm -hmm. surrounded by that, those smart people, I think for a lot of people earlier in their careers, that's really intimidating. It's scary when you're in a room with Pulitzer Prize winners and people who've been to war zones to, to give your opinion when you feel like maybe it's uninformed or you don't know that much about the thing, but, but you are also representing our audience and you're representing a new perspective. And so I think preserving that, preserving that is also really important to having a great news report, right? Because our news report isn't just for experts. It's for people who are maybe new to the news or not as not following it quite so tightly, who need a gateway. They need an entrance to the news. They need an on-ramp. And so we each bring valuable perspectives, whether it's the communities that we come from, you know, the places that we live in, the experiences that we've had. And so we need to create an environment where all of those voices can be contributing to our coverage. And I really like that about being here. As a longtime reader of The Post, as somebody who lives just outside of D.C., I really value what The Post is. I know some people knock it for lots of different reasons, but just strictly from somebody who pays attention to, you know, storytelling and their focus looking forward in new technology and incorporating it into what they're doing and into their storytelling, 
and constantly changing and evolving so that, you know, the fact is, I mean, the, the Post is around because they've made a lot of smart decisions over the last, you know, five or ten years about where they were in the digital space. And the paper's certainly a leader, and I think you're one of the people that's helped do that in your various roles. Kat, thanks for coming on the podcast again after so long. Thank you so much for having me, and congratulations on your 500th episode. Thank you very much, and uh, I wish you luck, and uh, I'll let you get back to your job. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And that was my interview from last February with Kat Downs Mulder, formerly of the Washington Post and now with Yahoo News. Next week marks the second anniversary of the January 6th insurrection. You may remember that we marked the first anniversary of that terrible event by interviewing Tia Mitchell, the Washington correspondent for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. She was in the U.S. Capitol covering the certification of the 2020 election when the building was stormed by supporters of former President Donald Trump. Last January, she shared her memories of that event on our podcast. Next week, we'll be rerunning that episode as well as a brief conversation I had with Tia in December about what January 6th looks like two years later. Also on January 1st, we'll be posting our annual list of most listened to episodes of the previous year. You'll be able to find that on our website, itsalljournalism.com. Here's hoping you have a wonderful new year and we'll be seeing you in 2023. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Capre wrote our theme music. Emilio Brust helped with our booking. Steph Thomas is our social media manager. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.